Right, I didn't do that because um, I, my content is uh, somewhat whittled down and <laughs> down and down. <laughs> and I just wanted to make sure that my, my 30 minutes got through, but um, uh, no. Um, uh, I really would commend uh, this morning's uh, meeting uh, and message to you. I, I think um, it's, uh, it's a great, and it's great the way that God has, has um, I, I hope, I'm hoping my prayer is that he reinforces for some of you who heard this morning's meeting some of the things that um, uh, that I'm going to say, or that perhaps the perspective that I bring on it might be a little bit different uh, to Greg's, perhaps a bit more anointed. Um, I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll let you you judge that. But uh, anyway, look back in January, um, the Lord gave, the Lord gave me well, actually the Lord gave me a message about um, stepping into the rain. Um, and he showed me there were four things that stopped people stepping into the reign of his spirit. Um, the first one was what our mothers told us. And uh, look, from an early age, we're conditioned by what our parents tell us. Uh, much of the wisdom we accept is good and sound, but some of it is based more on our parents' experiences and views than our own. Sometimes out of a heart to love and please and, o- and obey our parents, um, this can stop us stepping into... Uh, the rain, because we were told not to. And our spiritual parents can condition us to live a life out and far away from the rain as they define for us what is good and sound. The second thing the Lord said is that um, what weather forecasters tell us, and weather forecasters are those important people in our lives, they can deliberately, uh, for our own good, or accidentally inform what we do. Uh, They influence our views on what God is doing, and help us to understand the season that we're in and how we need to respond. Uh, Their voice have often told us that it's not raining, or it used to rain but it doesn't anymore, or it's raining but you need to stay inside. Um, The third category was actually where um, what other people expect of us in the rain. Um, When uh, our family was young, we went and lived in Canada and there were very clear rules about what you did when it snowed. Um, uh, to go against the prevailing wisdom or culture, uh, the way we do things here, was very difficult and meant being branded irresponsible, uh, reckless, or, uh, or just plain silly. So others' expectations have a powerful influence on our behaviour in church. Others' expectations shape how we behave and respond. And the fourth Uh, category was um, what our experience was the last time it rained. Um, Stepping into the rain involves taking a risk. Uh, It means daring to move away from what we know or may have even been comfortable doing. It also means that others may not like what we do or understand why we're doing it. It might mean that we step into the rain and do not think God will meet us We also are conditioned by what happened last time we actually stepped into the rain. So there were four things the Lord showed me about that. And as I was reflecting on those, back on that message, the Lord showed me how um, these heart conditions often mean that we acquire knowledge or understanding that we actually don't um, need and we need to unlearn um, or let go of that knowledge or understanding. Um, Such thinking is not unique. There's a wealth of literature around change and innovation that speaks of the need for people or organisations to unlearn before they're truly able to change. 
um, and envisage new ways of working or solving problems than they face today. Um, Greg mentioned a book this morning by Jim Collins. It's one of my favourites. It's called Good to Great. Um, and in that book, Jim Collins, um, one of his theories is that good is the enemy of great. Um, and so, you know, today's wineskin, to put it into Greg's message this morning, can be the enemy of tomorrow's. Um, uh, many, of, many of the popular stories of the Bible are about unlearning. In fact, I see that essentially the message of the kingdom is one of unlearning. Um, God says it more poetically, though, than that. Um, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Uh, Israel had to learn uh, how to operate with and then without manna. The disciples frequently tried to take things the Lord revealed to them and apply them in a context or in ways that they were not intended uh, to be used in. Um, and, and as individuals, they often got it wrong. We need to let go of some of the very things that have brought us our success in order to move forward or succeed in a new climate or a new environment. And that, that take, that, that's hard because oftentimes the things we want to hang on to are the very things that have actually brought us success. Um, so anyway, God showed me six things. Actually, he showed me a few more than that, but some of the others are work in progress. But the six I want to share with you are six ways of thinking, attitudes or conditions that have held me back from entering into the reign of his presence. Six things that have shaped who I am today and have helped me establish my walk with him, but six things that have in some way stopped me from entering into where he wants to take me next. Um, tonight I want to share those with you in the hope that they might challenge you or encourage you, or perhaps comfort you, um, and uh, that at least while you might have a different set of issues that the Lord is speaking to you about, uh, you will know that at least you're not alone in having to unlearn things. So the six things I want to talk to you about tonight are, while it's about me, it's really about him. The second one is, Sunday is not the capstone of my faith. Thirdly, it's hard to turn a moving ship. Fourth, it's, it always starts in the heart. Fifthly, it's a journey of interdependence and not independence. And lastly, it's a journey, not a destination. So let's spring into the first one. While it's about me, it's really about him. I don't know about you, but when I was first a Christian, a lot of what I heard um, as a new Christian quite rightly centred on what Christ had done for me. Um, and while we can never take for granted the power of his grace, the enormity of his affection across time and his patience and long-suffering towards me, we need to be careful that we don't personalise the gospel in such a way that we think it's all about me when it's all about him. It's true that he knows the number of hairs on my head and he formed me for a purpose and he shaped me in my mother's womb and he has plans for me. But it's not about who I am or what I have done or what I will do. It's about who he is and what he has done. One of my favourite scriptures is in Paul's letter to Hebrews. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to take my jersey off. Sorry. 
So, chapter Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. And Paul says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the race with endurance. Sorry, let us run the race. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. I don't know how many times I've read that. Um, and there's a glibness that can come with it at times. But the thing I want to share tonight, because there's a number of messages you could bring about there, is actually fixing our eyes on Jesus, um, looking to him. You know, God showed me that a lot of my attention was devoted to thoughts about me and not him. A lot of my prayer was directed at things I needed to happen. My approach um, to worship was often about moving into his presence that I might better position myself for what I wanted to talk to God about or to feel his presence rather than to simply worship because he's worthy of all praise. Lately, I've found myself simply asking God for more of him, telling him in prayer and worship, or just as we commune during the day, that I'm here to give him all the praise and honour that he's worthy of, that I have come longing just to bring something that is of worth that will bless his heart. And God's response is awesome. It's almost like the more I focus on him and away from myself, the more he draws me near he draws near to me and starts talking to me about the things that are happening in my life. A few weeks ago, I was on the golf course with Greg. Um, it was the first time I played golf, actually, in about three years. So the golf was pretty rough and ugly, um, which was... Uh, won't go there. Anyway, and um, Greg and I were talking about why Revelation comes at different speeds um, and at different times to people. And the Lord popped this question into my spirit. Do I have the appetite for God that he has for me? Now, some of you who have been here about a month ago may remember that Greg shared this. So, you know, um, uh, and it isn't true that I shared it with him just as he was on his backswing, you know, just so, right, he was in mid-shot. Um, but I tried to, um, it is fair to say. <laughs> but I almost fell over when I realised, as I started to meditate on this, that... Um, my appetite for God wasn't right. Um, that I had, if anything, grown lukewarm and uh, was prepared to just keep it, keep doing the th- what I had always done. I remember one of those phrases, and, and Greg even mentioned this this morning, um, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different outcome, or to put it another way, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. And I thought, wow. Um, the Lord reminded me of the merchant who found the pearl of great price. And when he found it, he went and sold all he had and brought it. I was going to use the field, but um, Greg used that this morning as well. <laughs> the revelation required action and he led me to Isaiah 29 verse 13 where it says then the Lord said because this people draw near with their words 
and honour me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Behold, I will again deal marvellously with, the, uh, uh, with this people, wondrously, marvellously. And the Lord sort of really challenged me about how much of what I was doing was lip service or by rote. Actually, it's not really, in one sense, a really cool discussion to have with God because you realise that actually by him asking that or or bringing that to to your attention, he really is telling you that actually what you're doing, you're doing on automatic pilot. Um, Yeah. So I, I found myself sensing that while my golf swing was no better aligned, my character and relationship with God was starting to actually be adjusted. The next thing the Lord, uh, the next issue, or the next of the six points that I want to talk about is Sunday is not the capstone. If Sunday is the capstone of my faith, then I'm in trouble. I love gathering on a Sunday with my family. I love the sense of expectancy that I have as I drive to the rock about what God is doing, what he's going to do. I love to corporately worship and to see you and to see how God encounters his people and how we change as a result of that encounter. I love being encouraged and challenged through conversation or just being with people who, like me, have come expecting God to be with us. It is true that he inhabits the praises of his people and and he loves to come and bless us corporately with his presence. And I think we can all attest to some of the great times that we've had here. But there has to be more substance to my walk with him. There has to be more to what I am about or what God wants to achieve in me that can be done in the four walls of this building or on a Sunday. As an eldership, over the last two years, we've spent a lot of time talking about the purpose of church, why we gather, what form our Sunday services take, and their relative importance in both life in the life of the church and our own relationship with Jesus. This has got me thinking, and I realised how Sunday dependent I had become. It seemed to me that without any real endeavour on my part, Sunday had become the capstone of my relationship with Jesus. Now, for those of you who are wondering what a capstone is, um, a capstone is the, are the stones that they place on top of a, of a wall to finish it off. So it's kind of the, normally it's decorative, um, but, it's, but it's sort of the, the finishing of, of the wall or the top of the wall. And it seemed to me um, that much of my week led me to Sunday rather than Sunday leading me into my week. So please hear me, I'm not saying that Sunday is not an important part of my life or, or your life, just that it can't be the capstone, it can't be the finishing stone. It's one of the stones, not the finishing stone. Why is that important? Because how I view Sunday alters completely how I relate to God. And here's what the Lord reminded me. Firstly, my worship of him, my prayer to him, my communion with him and his people should be greater during the week than on Sunday. Because, secondly, if I am to bring a sacrifice of praise to him on a Sunday, it needs to be prepared during the week. And thirdly, as Proverbs reminds us, um, 
The Lord says, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. So rather than a focus on Sunday or living Sunday to Sunday, the Lord has reminded me that my worship, prayer and communion with him is, is sorry, my worship, prayer and communion with him one to one is the capstone and Sunday is the day to celebrate with the family and enjoy being together. The reason I think it is important to have this perspective is that if we're living Sunday to Sunday and see our expression of our affection and love for Jesus as that is our expression and love for Jesus, we're limiting growth and in my view destining ourselves to remain as children rather than as Paul encourages us um, in his letter to the church at, at Ephesus to, be, to grow up to the fullness of the mature believer. You know, God wants us, God wants us, us as we want, and Greg again said this this morning, you know, if he's, if he's raising, if we're raising our children right, we want our children to grow up. We don't want our children to stay children. I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, there are times that I wish my kids were still children. I loved them when they were babies. I mean, they're cute now, you know, but, but you know, they were really cute when they were, when they were little. But, you know, I wouldn't want them to have the mindset of a, a five-year-old now that they're big and grown up. I'd, I, want them, I want them to grow up, and I want them to come into what God has got for them. And God's the same with us. He wants to see his children grow up. So, firstly, um, we said it's, while it's about me, it's really about him. Secondly, we said Sunday is not the capstone of my faith. And thirdly... It is hard to turn a moving ship. What do I mean by that? When people used to ask me, um, should they do something in church, I would often say to them, well, pray about it and ask the Lord, but then uh, just do something, you know, because it's, um, it's easier to turn a moving ship. And I think that part of, uh, for me, that was based on the fact that I observed... Uh, um, that oftentimes people sat round and waited for the clouds to roll back and the audible voice of God to come down and say, "Go and visit your neighbour," you know, and and so people would their default setting was to do nothing. Their default setting was, you know, well, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting on God. You know, I'm going to get the revelation any time. But Kirk, you've been waiting five years. Yeah, but it's coming closer. I can feel it. I know God's going to do something. And, um, and so my, my reaction to that was to say, look, it doesn't matter, you know. You just step out and God will turn. You be open to God and God will change. And, and, I, and I still kind of hold a little bit to that. But, but I, I have seen, I've come to the view that actually it isn't easy to turn a moving ship. Because once we are moving, we've invested ourselves in where we're going, how we'll get there, and, and we have a fairly good idea on what we're going to be doing. We've put our shoulder to the wheel, and it's not always easy to actually stop doing and start being. But for the fall of man, that wouldn't be a problem. There would be no discrepancy between being and doing. We would simply live from within, without giving a thought, um, uh, giving a, a thought. Sorry, without giving it a thought, 
our instinctive actions would be to do what God uh, was the expression of God's heart. But sin introduced a moral confusion into the mix. And so we need to be in relationship with God so we can hear and obey. Jesus said that he was the good shepherd and that he knew his sheep and his sheep knew him. He also said his sheep knew his voice. So it's the ability cultivated through spending time with God that is our guide and ensures that we are moving towards the things God has for us and are not either sitting waiting for revelation or moving in presumption out of a sense of doing. The best story that illustrates this is in the New Testament. Uh, In the New Testament is the story of Mary and Martha. And I'm sure you're all familiar with the story of Mary and Martha. Um, And um, this story always used to bug me. Mainly um, the Lord showed me because um, I'm, I'm more comfortable being a Mary than a Martha. Fortunately, the Lord has partnered me with someone who is more um, interested in being... I'm sorry, I'm more a Martha than a Mary. She's, she's definitely a Mary. Um, she loves to sit at the Lord's feet. And like Martha, I would find myself getting really frustrated because there were things to be done. And... Um, and my default setting was about going and doing things. Um, and if there was something that needed to be done and I could do it, then it was obvious. You just did it. Um, a few years ago, it occurred to me that actually neither are right nor wrong in themselves. It's all about time and place. And the only way we can be sure about whether we should be sitting or listening um, or uh, sitting and listening or serving is if we're in tune with what God is saying. So it comes down to putting ourselves in a place where you can hear his voice and then respond to it. So the four, my fourth point tonight is um, it always starts in the heart. And if you've been in this church uh, any time in the last two years, um, probably uh, you already have got this. But I'm going to share a couple of thoughts on it. Um, I don't want to labour the thought here. Um, but um, the thoughts that I had I always thought I had a good understanding of the Bible and I like to read and explore and gain understanding and in my early years as a Christian God always spoke to me through the word when I started to meditate on scriptures though um, I realised that there was more and um, that the approach which had served me really well in the past needed to change Um, and Here's what the Lord showed me. It's kind of like when, um, when, when Greg talked this morning about, um, about the story of the, the new wineskin. The bit that I hadn't heard before was that um, the, the bit in there where it says the old wine was good enough. Um, and there's an implication that the new wine is better, isn't it? Um, and, so, and so for me, I had a process of how God talked to me. It wasn't a quiet time because I, I don't like quiet times, probably because when I was first a Christian, I was told, right, now you're a Christian, tip your beer out, throw your cigarettes away, you know, <laughs> you've got to do this, you've got to have a quiet time, you've got to read your Bible at least half an hour, you know. Now, these are well-meaning people, but I just react to that. I don't like being told what I need to do. And so I'm a bit stubborn and obstinate. And so um, 32 years later, the Lord's still talking to me about the value of a quiet time. But, but having said all of that and confessed it all before you, and there you go, and, um, and I, um, it's, um, 
I used to spend time with the Lord now, um, and, um, and, and I would spend time in his word, and he would speak to me, and it was really rich, and, and, and I grew through it. And, uh, and that was really cool. And, and then, but then he started to show me that there was more, and that this way it was, it was good, and, and we could continue to do it this way, but actually there were other things that he wanted to lead me into that, that this approach may not actually have allowed to happen. So um, what he showed me was that, firstly, I needed to pray and ask him to bring alive all of the things that I knew about him. Okay? So, again, this not to say there's anything wrong with kind of head knowledge in that sense, but, but by reason, I can know about God, but I can never know him. And Jesus talked about God being spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I started to ask the Lord to show me more than I understood from books or from messages or commentaries. I asked him to bring my intellect to life in him. Secondly, and probably simultaneously really, um, I asked the Lord to give me a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says that, that I'll give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. I didn't think I had a heart of stone, but I'll talk a bit more about that later, but but I wanted a heart of flesh. I wanted a heart which was more open um, to God that could receive what God wanted to reveal to me. Um, I wanted my heart to be fertile ground in which his word could, could be sown and take root. Um, and the Lord led me to Hosea, um, chapter 10, verse 12. And the prophet writes in there, he says, break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Now I know I've heard a number of messages preached about this, but the thought that really came to me there about this was, you know, fellow ground is ground which was once, which was once used it's, it, 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 for growing crops. And it had a crop in it, and then, it, and then the, the land was left to go, to go fallow. It was left unused. A fellow is normally, a, a ground is normally quite a hard pan that builds up. Um, it has a top layer, but the, it gets hard because people walk on it or animals walk on it. And it's had generally left, they generally left it for between five and seven years just, just till it came back so they could sow in it again. But before it was ready to receive the seed, it needed to be broken up. Um... It needs to be broken up so the rain can penetrate and the water, uh, uh, rain can penetrate and the seed can be sown in it and have a depth of root. The picture the Lord gave me this morning, though, was about how, how um, the, the pan is kind of like, like the um, car park out here when it rains. Um, the water can't penetrate. So the rain of the Holy Spirit can be coming down and can be falling in, into onto soil, can be falling on, onto this fallow ground, and the soil can get wet, but the soil itself isn't watered because the rain can't flow into it. It can only sit on the top, or it can only sort of um, be driven away from it. So for that soil, for that heart condition to change, it has to be broken up, and that, that 
involves pain, unfortunately. It also means letting go of things and recognising that much of what we've acquired as understanding in our Christian journey to date may not provide what we need going forward. We need the Holy Spirit to come and reveal more of Jesus. It means accepting that there is more we don't know about God than we know, and even what we think we know may very well be holding us back from what God wants to reveal us to us and where he wants to take us. And thirdly, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts. Um, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14, A natural man does not accept the things of God for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet is appraised by no one. When God's Spirit illuminates our heart, part of us sees things that we've never seen before. A part of us knows things in our knower, you know, that part of you that you know, you know how you, you know where you know where you know, um, that we've never known before, in a way that the cleverest scholars or theologians or anyone with grey hair couldn't actually imitate for us. It's, it's beyond reason and with perfect satisfaction and conviction. Um, So, it, so th- those three steps were what the Lord showed me about how we start to change our heart condition so that this journey that begins in the heart can actually um, take place. Fifthly, it's a journey of interdependence, not dependence. Um, to fully comprehend who Christ is, we need to walk in community. We need to have others in our lives who can inspire us and encourage us and annoy the daylight out of us. Um, it, it means to walk feeling that you are not being understood, that you're not being heard, and that you do not agree with what's being done. In my past, my approach was to leave the church life group meeting um, and, to, and to stop walking with people and to go somewhere where I could be appreciated, where my talents would be recognised and my ministry gifts acknowledged, and I could actually be put to work in, used, in, in using those. The new paradigm is that we have a responsibility to each other, and that it's not about the fulfilment of my ministry calling. Now, um, if you're here, um, I don't want to offend you, but you know, if you're here because of what you can do for God, um, maybe we can talk afterwards. Um, I think it's more about, um, it's more about uh, we're not here because um, we have a calling to be the best drummer um, or the best song leader. We're here just to serve and to, and to be in love with Jesus. Um, but I need all of you. I need you to be who God's calling you to be. Um, I need you to be, um, to be the people in, in faith that you see yourself or don't see yourself as being, but God sees you as and wants to build you into. Um, So you and I are are to become the body, um, attain unity and the knowledge of God. Um, Then we have to, sorry, if we are to do this, we have to do it together. We can't do it on our own. There's something that happens when we walk together that cannot happen when I walk by myself. I've seen this within our life group as we contend together for truth and we as we talk with and share with each other about what's happening, 
I love the um, the, the Fokatoki, which says um, uh, "Na tūroro, na takuroro, kiora te iwi," and you'll all uh, probably agree with that. I'm sure. Um, that actually means uh, with my food basket and your food basket, the people will be fed. You know, and so it's not about what I've got; it's not about what you've got, but together, the people will be fed. There's something supernatural that occurs um, when we, um, as a people, purpose to walk together in unity. Um, I want you to turn to Genesis 11 with me. Um, And I was going to read from verses 1 to 8, but I won't. What I'll do is I'll just focus on the one verse um, um, that I want to sort of bring out. In verse 6, so that you know this story, this is the story of the Tower of Babel. And the story is often preached about man's folly and about how people were scattered throughout the earth, and that's all, all true as well. But I think there's something powerful in verse 6. And it's, the Lord says, Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language, and this is what they began to do now, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So this is God saying that. So God says now we have to go down and confuse their language so that they, they can't achieve this thing that they're setting out to think to, to achieve. There's something really powerful when people agree to walk in unity. And I want to borrow a couple of things from, from what Ingrid um, shared uh, a couple of months back. Um, she said that we need to... We, uh, she said the choice we need to make is to see Christ in others... Um, and it was an active moment-by-moment decision. She encouraged us to, to talk to each other in respect and reverence, choosing to see the gifts that others carry and to see it as something for us. She challenged us to set aside our past hurts and disappointments and take a risk because by ourselves we are just small chip rocks, but together we're being fashioned as lively stones and are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood that is acceptable to God. The last point I want to cover tonight is it's a journey, not a destination. My Christian walk has been one of journeying and then resting, which is all very good as long as I remember that I need to keep journeying, which sometimes doesn't happen. Some of my resting places start to look very permanent, The tent has a nice awning, um, it has a fixed floor um, and life starts to take on the field that I've arrived and this is a good place to stay. And over time the desire to break camp and move on starts to look less and less attractive. Obviously I'm talking metaphorically, um, but if the kingdom of God is always advancing and I've found a nice place to stay, then I'm not just resting, I'm actually going backwards. And this can happen so subtly. We have this revelation of what God's doing and, uh, and we come alive. We share it with others and they get blessed by it and they come alive. And, and, but soon we're still talking about that revelation while others are talking about something else. But we stay with our revelation. We can so quickly become attached to and so impeded by the things that were previously blessing to us. Um, in Genesis uh, chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, we read that God called Abraham and he said, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country 
and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in your families the uh, sorry, and, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's an awesome promise. But to be activated, Abraham, uh, it meant Abraham leaving everything he was familiar with. Everything he understood and trusted, his father, his relatives, his land, and to step in faith, step out in faith to a land that God would but not had shown him. I love the way Paul puts it in Hebrews 11, in verse 8 and 10, where he, reads by, where he writes, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and went out not knowing where he was going. And in verse 10, For he was looking for a city which has, has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see, the transitions need to be embraced and stepped into. At times God will give us a revelation of what he's asking us to do or where he wants us to go, but at other times he simply says, come. Like he did to the disciples, come. And like he did to Noah, Moses, Isaac, David and many others, he just said, come. So I've shared with you six things. While it's about me, it's really about him. Sunday isn't the capstone of my faith. It's hard to move a turning ship. It always starts in the heart. It's a journey of interdependence, not dependence. Not independent, interdependence, not independence. Um, and it's a destination, not a journey. Um, and bringing this together, um, in Acts 2.25, David said, I was always beholding God in my presence, or the Lord in my presence. David recognised the presence of the Lord. And we need to be able to do the same. We need to learn to adjust our hearts until we know he is here. The realisation that God is with us, on us and in us is one of the most vital elements of our Christian faith. To live by the theory of, this, of his presence is wrong. To say we know he is always with me is not enough. That truth must propel us into experiencing his presence and encountering him on a daily basis. David's life as a king, a priest, a warrior was focused on this, taking time daily and staying there until he could encounter God. My prayer tonight is that we will repent, that we will change the way we think and catch a glimpse of the new things God has in store for each of us Further, this glimpse is enough for us to leave where we are now and, like Abraham, look for a city which has a foundation and whose architect and builder is God. Thank you.